0: Well, I, um, I love to be out in the mountains and uh, be able to uh, be there at night when you can go out for a walk and you can see the sky, you can see all the stars. Uh, what a beautiful sight, right? To be able to go and actually see that there are stars, and there are a lot more than we typically see uh, if you're stuck in a city. And so we, we go out and we are able to enjoy this, this space, and one of the things that you notice is, one, how small you are because of the, the incredible sky that you see. But you also realize how absolutely quiet it is when you're out in the middle of nowhere. You realize the noises that we have in our day-to-day lives uh, we become accustomed to. So I live a very close to Montgomery Boulevard. Uh, Montgomery Boulevard. For those of you who don't have the pleasure of living close to it, um, is a noisy street, <laughs> to say the least. Um, it, it is the place to race. It is the place to cruise. It's the place for motorcycles and everybody with their souped-up cars to go up and down all weekend long. And so, it's a very noisy place to live. And what happens is when you live next to a noisy place, is you don't realize how noisy it is anymore. You grow accustomed to the noise. And it just becomes a normal part of the life that you have. Until you're removed from that and you realize how noisy your life really is. Noise comes in and, and we grow accustomed to it and, and we tune it out and it doesn't, it, it's not noticeable anymore. And I think oftentimes our spiritual practices can be that way as well. We come to church on Sunday, we go to class, we we sing these songs, we take communion, and and has it just become noise that lacks meaning? Is it just a part of what you do? Or are you really hearing what's going on? Prayer can be that way where where the no it just becomes noise and, and we don't see the value in it anymore. It loses the emphasis. It loses the importance because it's just too routine. It's something that we just do all the time. And so we're, we're trying to slow down through this series on prayer to, to come back to the basics and say, this is prayer. This is why we pray. This is what it is. This is why we engage in it. And so we're going to drill in this morning on a very specific prayer. One that's very common, one that we hear a lot, but but maybe it's a prayer that has just become noise. That As we hear the words of this prayer, we don't realize the real meaning that it has anymore because it's just too common, it's too normal. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gathers up his followers and spends some time teaching them what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. You know, we, we spent, uh, I guess it's been quite a while ago, we did a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we, and we looked at this sermon that Jesus gives us. And he gives us, this is how to live in the kingdom of God. And right in the middle of this sermon, he gives us this prayer. He, he adjusts course and gives us this prayer and says, this is how you should pray. This is what prayer is like. It's at the very center of the sermon, and, and the our, our Bible and our translations usually title this the Lord's Prayer. They give us this section, and they call it the Lord's Prayer. But I want us to call this the Disciples' Prayer, because it's not Jesus' prayer for himself. This is the prayer that he gives us for, our, for his followers, his disciples, to use as a model of prayer. And if Jesus says, this is how we should pray, I think we should probably pay attention, right? This should be an important piece of our spiritual disciplines, and certainly an important piece of this series as we talk about what prayer is. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And so we're going to spend some time looking at this prayer, a prayer that is very common, a prayer that we've heard before, and maybe it's become too familiar, Maybe we don't really understand what the prayer is about because it's just too familiar and it's just noise. So let's read through this prayer. And I want you to listen with new ears as I read through this. Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is how we should pray. Jesus gives this to us. When we listen in on somebody's prayer, we hear what's at their very heart, at their very core. And so when Jesus prays, we get to hear what's important to him. We get to hear what's on his heart. And so I want you to take this card, and I want us to read this prayer now together out loud as a group. Hear the words come out of your own mouth as we go through this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here are these words that we're going to spend some time looking in on. And we're going to spend some time, as I said last week, we're going to spend some time actually praying, not just talking about prayer. And so we're going to go through each one of these sections, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, and then we're going to pause and spend some time in prayer over each one of these things. He starts off, Our Father in Heaven, which is such an incredible way to start, an incredibly profound thing to say, that that when we come to God, we come to God as our Father. We say, Our Father. We're not going to see the wonderful Wizard of Oz where we're scared of this strange being that is actually something behind a curtain. It's not this this fearful, mythical creature that we're going to. We're going to our Father in prayer. One who loves us. One who has compassion on us. One who has created us. One who has adopted us into his household as his children. He brings us into his house, and we're his children God being Father means that there's a closeness to God. There is a relationship there. He's compassionate toward his children. And he invites us into his presence. And where is God when we approach him as our Father? God is in heaven. And now we don't have time to unpack a whole theological conversation on what heaven is and what it looks like, but... But in the Bible, when we think about heaven, it's the, the realm where God rules fully. God is fully in control, and his will is done. That's heaven. And so when we say God in heaven, Father in heaven, we, we're saying you are our God who's in control, who is on the throne. Your will will be done. Your reign exists here. Here. We're acknowledging that, and we're acknowledging that that God is our Father. We start with that in our prayer. That is the first line that we enter into, acknowledging who God is. Now, for many people, this idea of God being Father is a challenging concept. We live in a broken world where where no Father is perfect, And many struggle with a very broken relationship with their father. And so to say that we're having God and we're describing him as a father, that becomes a very challenging thing for many of us. But as we approach God in prayer as father, he can work at healing those relationships. He can work at healing that that perception. That we're looking at God not compared to our broken fathers on earth, but we're looking at God as the perfect Father. The perfect Father. And all the great characteristics that come from a perfect Father, which none of us have except in God. And so we come to God as Father. We come to Him in prayer. And so this gives us a way of approaching God. How do you approach God in prayer? Are you dialing up a phone for someone who's distant? Or are you engaging with your father in some way? Do you recognize your dependence? The child-father relationship says one is dependent on the other. Do you trust fully that God is in control, that God can meet all of your needs? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, such a profound concept as we approach prayer. So now I want you to spend just a moment, close your eyes, and engage in a moment of prayer, acknowledging who God is, acknowledging that He is our Father, thanking Him for that. Ask that, that He would reveal to you more fully what His perfect love looks like as a father. If you've got a, a wound, if you've been wounded by an earthly father, pray for that, for just a moment, that God would heal that so that you can see who He is. Spend just a moment there in prayer now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now we get into this place where we have weird old language that starts to become a barrier for us understanding what's going on. How many of you use the word hallowed in your day-to-day conversations? This hallowed space? No, we don't, we don't use the word hallowed. and so, so we think about hallowed really just being another way of talking about God's holiness. And even holiness is one of those churchy words that we don't completely get. And holiness simply means that, that he is set apart in some way for some special purpose. And then he, that concept in and of itself in our culture becomes very challenging to even comprehend. To set something apart for a special purpose, we want everything to be the same, right? We don't want things to be set apart from culture We don't want things to be set apart for a certain purpose. And so now we have this phrase here, hallowed be your name, which is against everything that we experience in our day-to-day lives. For God to be separate from the world around us, for him to be holy, is this strange concept. But this is a God who is on a throne. He is in control, and he has adopted us as his children He is holy and he is set apart. And so his name is a name that is above all other names and we're called as his children to represent that name. We're called to represent the good and holy God. We pray that we don't dishonor his name by the way that we live. Because as followers of him, we are a reflection of him and and we don't want things to be perceived the wrong way. We don't don't want people to look at our lives and see God as something that he isn't. Knowing a person's name is important. Knowing that God's name is holy is important. It shows that there's a relationship between us and him. A person's name carries their identity. God's name being holy gives him an identification. Identification. So for me, my name is, is Jason Curtis Burnett. My first name is Jason, that's the name that distinguishes me from others, that's the name that my parents gave me that gives me an identity, a uniqueness from others. My middle name is Curtis, I'm na- my middle name is after my dad. And so it connects me to my father. And then my, my last name is Burnett, which, which joins me in with a family, a family name that gives me identification. And so a name identifies us. It gives us it gives us a uniqueness of who we are. And so for God's name to be hallowed, God's name to be set apart, it gives an identification of who He is. He is above all things. He is set apart from all things. Knowing the name of God is important. We think back to the story of Moses, who who is up on this mountain and there's this bush that's burning. But it's not really burning up. And Moses has this encounter with God. And God gives him his name. He says, this is who I am. He says, my name is Yahweh. He says, I am the Lord. The I am. The one who delivers you. God's name is important. God's name is set apart. And we're called to be bearers of that name. And so I want you to spend a moment now. Praying about the holiness of God, how God is set apart, a concept that is challenging for us. It's going to stretch our minds a bit to say, what does that even mean? And so maybe spend a moment even asking God to reveal to you what that holiness means. What does it mean for God's name, who he is, to be hallowed? Pray that now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, we're not kingdom people, right? We, we, we're, we're democracy people, right? The idea of having a king, we, we, we fought against that. And so as Americans, we are very independent and we don't want anybody telling us what to do. And so for us to to be praying to God, God, your kingdom come, is an incredible act of surrender. An act of humility to say, God, you are king, you reign, and this is your kingdom, and I submit to that, I want more of that. Your kingdom come. We're praying for God's kingdom, that it, it would be here we can rephrase this a bit to, to say God's reign, for God's reign to come, for his rule to come. And we, we talked through that in our Sermon on the Mount series as well, where we talked about what does the reign of God mean? What does it mean for the kingdom of God to be here? The kingdom of God is, is, is God bringing things like deliverance and salvation. It's bringing his presence. It's bringing his restoration. It's bringing his justice, bringing his peace his healing, his joy, his repentance. It's a return of God. We ask for God's reign to be here, your kingdom to come. Augustine says that God is reigning now, but just as a light is absent to a person who closes their eyes and doesn't want to see it, it's the same with God's rule. We close our eyes and we don't see God's rule. We're created to serve Him, but we have a choice in serving Him. And so we oftentimes confuse that and begin serving other idols. We surrender ourselves to other things, we subject ourselves to other things instead of putting God on the throne and reigning in our lives. We need God's kingdom to come. We need him to be here. We need his rule here in our lives, in our church, in our community. Praying God's reign longs for God's compassion to be seen, for, for him to be known, for, for people who are suffering to, to be healed. As, as we pray for God's kingdom to come, we become a community that begins to experience the mustard seeds of the kingdom beginning to break through. When we Pray for the kingdom of God to be known. When we pray for the reign of God to come in, we see breakthroughs of God's reign. We have now been here for uh, Laura and I have been here for two years now. We moved here uh, last week, two years ago, and started school. Started the school year. And as as we have worked into this place, I, I regularly walk the perimeters of this property and pray that God's kingdom would come to this place. I pray that this place will be a light to this community. I pray that God will break down the walls that keep us in and keep others out. Praying that God's kingdom would come to this place. And I see those breakthroughs. I see those breakthroughs when people sit in our pews who have sworn they will never walk into a church again. I see God breaking through into that. And so when we pray, God's kingdom come. We're praying for his deliverance and salvation. We're praying for his presence to be known. We're praying for his restoration. We're praying for his peace, for his healing, for his joy, for his repentance, or for our repentance to him. We're praying for a return to God. And we see those breakthroughs as we pray that prayer. And so spend a moment now asking God that his reign would break into this place, that his reign would break into this community, this city, our lives. Pray for that now for a moment. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God is our Father, because he is holy and he's set apart, because we long for his reign in our lives and in our community, we trust in him and his will for us. It's in that context that we say, God Your will be done because I know you're my father. I know that you love me. I know that you want what's best for me. I know that you reign. I know that you rule. And because of that, I say, God, your will be done. I submit to that. I desire that. I long for that. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see heaven as an example of what God's will is. We see it, it as, as the perfect form of what God has designed and what he longs for. We know that we're submitting our wills to, to God's will, and, and that can be challenging. Because we don't see the way God sees. We don't know the things that he knows. But we submit to that because we trust him. We submit to his will in our lives. Submitting our will to his will is challenging enough. But the greater challenge is submitting our own feelings to that. Because I can say, yes, I submit to God doing this, but I'm really going to not be happy about it. Yes, God calls us into that, and I'll I'll be obedient to that, but uh, I'm not going to be happy about it. I may be bitter about it. I may be angry about it. I may hold a grudge about it. We see things in our lives where God calls us to something. He calls us to a certain way of behavior, and maybe we reluctantly walk into that. I think about something like um, about tithing. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm very convicted that, that 10% of our gross income should be going to the work of the church. That's what Laura and I have had for most of our marriage, that, that we're going to say 10% of our gross income is going to go to the work of the church. And that's where we have been at personally. And there are times that I have submitted to that will, but been very frustrated when my friend has a new TV. And I'm like, man, it would be nice to afford a new TV. It would be nice to afford that better car. It would be better. I, I, mean, I really wish I were over there spending my money on myself. I've submitted my will, but I have not submitted my feelings about that. And now I'm reluctant about how I I walk out that obedience. And so are you the reluctant one following in obedience? You're doing the right thing. You're doing what God has called you to do. You're being obedient to that, but what's your heart say about it? What are your feelings about it? Are you really surrendering yourself to what God longs for you? Are you obedient to what he's calling you to in both your will and your will? and your heart as well. He wants all of you. Glenn Stassen um, says this about praying in this way. When you pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, we envision conflict being resolved, marriages and families healed, truth told and people faithful to one another, initiatives that break through the vicious cycles of retaliation, and love that creates new community among people through forgiveness, reconciliation, and peacemaking. The will of God, as it is announced in the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount and throughout Scripture, directs us toward breakthroughs of this kind. Envision yourself participating in such breakthroughs personally. God wants us to be a part of what he's doing here. He has a certain will for us and he invites us to participate in that. And he wants things to be here like they are in heaven. He wants there to be reconciliation among people. He wants there to be peace. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to love him. He longs for that kind of community here as it is in heaven. So spend a moment now and pray that we can surrender ourselves, both our mind and our hearts, to the will of God, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. So the first part of this this prayer here is talking about who God is. And it's in the context of our adoration and thanksgiving for who he is that we are able to get into our requests for him. Acknowledging that God is our Father, acknowledging that uh, His kingdom has come, acknowledging that He is set apart, acknowledging that we want His will to be done in our lives, it's within that that we say, give us today our daily bread. Now I think few of us can relate to a real concern about where our next meal is going to come from. And so we get in this challenging spot of how can we relate to this phrase, give us today our daily bread. I know where my next meal is going to come from. And so why do I need to ask God to give me my daily bread? I think this is part of the reason why Jesus makes comments about why it's difficult for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. It's hard for us when we aren't In need to put ourselves in a place where we surrender and submit to what God is providing. And so, by worldly standards, most most of us are incredibly wealthy. And so, it's incredibly challenging for us to enter into the kingdom of God, to enter into this idea of what the reign of God is, because we're incredibly self sufficient. We know how to provide for ourselves. And so I can be dependent on myself for my next meal. I can be dependent on myself for what I wear. I'm dependent on myself for where I live. I provide for myself, right? And so when we're in that mode, when we're in that place of life, it's hard for us to really understand how to submit to God being the Father who's providing for us. And so when we say, give us today our daily bread, we're, we're praying that, that God will provide our necessities and that we will depend on him for our necessities. And so depending on where you find yourself, the way that prayer is, is prayed may be a little different. It may be that you really do need God to provide for your necessities in some very real ways. It may be that you need to be praying that God humbles you and helps you depend on him even in your wealth. Even in your strength. How can you be dependent on God and not self-sufficient? That's the battle for many of us. As we pray, give us today our daily bread. We say, God, we submit to you and and we allow you to rule in our lives. That you're going to be the one in control, not me. After this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on to teach a lot about money and worry. In Matthew 6, 19-34, 6, he says something along the lines of, Don't hoard for yourself on earth, but put your investments in heaven. We invest in heaven. We invest in God's will. Don't worry about what you will eat, about what you will wear. Your Father in heaven will provide for the birds and the air, birds of the air and the flowers in the field, so he'll provide for you, Right? but yet we want to provide for ourselves. But God knows our basic needs. He knows what we need. And so since he is providing for our needs, we put our efforts into God's reign and God's restorative justice. If we put our investment in God's kingdom, then he will provide for our needs. And so we pray Give us today our daily bread, remembering ourselves that God provides what we need and that we need to be fully invested in the kingdom of God. We invest there because He's going to provide for the necessities. And so, what necessities do you have need for? What are the things that you need to trust God for? How have you been self reliant? How have you tried to do it yourself? Instead of being dependent on him, how are you investing in the kingdom of God? And so let's pause a moment there as you pray. Give us today our daily bread. So the prayer begins to take this shift from who God is to to how we surrender to him and he provides for us and now gets into this mode of how we relate to other people. What do our relationships look like? Do we forgive others the way we ask God to forgive us? When When we sin, do we take that to God and ask for forgiveness? Do we forgive others who have sinned against us, or do we hold some sort of grudge or bitterness toward them? We see that 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 this importance that God has on how we interact with one another and the relationships that we have. He wants reconciliation in those relationships. He wants to restore those relationships. And so we can't expect to receive forgiveness from God and have that relationship going well if we're not willing to give that forgiveness to others. Martin Luther said, If anyone insists on his own goodness and despises others, let him look into himself when his petition confronts him. He will find he is no better than others and that in the presence of God, everyone must duck his head and come into the joy of forgiveness only through the low door of humility. The low door of humility. We we come in and we ask for forgiveness from God and we extend that forgiveness to others. We ask that God will forgive us, but there's a catch. It's connected to the forgiveness of others. We don't hold a grudge. We don't judge. We forgive. And it's in that context that we receive the forgiveness of God. God's kingdom is a place of reconciliation. It's a place of restoration. And as kingdom people, we forgive. Spend a moment now reflecting on areas of your life where you need forgiveness and that you need to be forgiving of others and pray for that now. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not lead us into temptation. This doesn't mean that we're asking not to be tempted. Temptation exists all around us. Being led into temptation is where we start to entertain those uh, that we begin to entertain those temptations, and we consider the prospect of giving in to those sins. And so, when we enter into temptation, we begin this. Hmm. Maybe I might want to do that. And so, Jesus is saying here, pray that you will not enter into that temptation. That you will be protected from getting into that place. But the big thing here is is this idea of being delivered from the evil one. Because what Jesus is saying here is there is a realm that goes way beyond what is seen, there is this unseen world, there's this unseen place where warfare is happening. There are temptations at play because of an enemy. The devil comes in and brings these situations to us. And so prayer is engaging in this spiritual warfare with the devil. Where we say, protect us from what he's doing. And so we need to be diligent about fighting the battle that wages in all around us. We need to be diligent about paying praying through those things if we passively coast through there is an unseen world that's going to take you down we've got to actively engage in that we need god's deliverance from that it's not going to be in our own power it's going to be in god's power it's going to be his deliverance that frees us from that and so we're going to talk more about spiritual warfare and and how prayer interacts with that in a couple weeks But for now, I want us to to pause for a moment. I want you to pray. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. What are the temptations that you are beginning to entertain that you need to stop? What are the things in in, in your life where, where, where the devil is coming in and he's speaking lies into your lives that's leading you off track? Pray for that for just a moment. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As we look at these three requests, this give us, forgive us, deliver us. These become our main functions of prayer. We ask God to provide for us and make us reliant on Him. We ask God for forgiveness that we may be reconciled with Him and reconciled with others. We ask God to fight the spiritual battles and the spiritual attacks that are going on. We ask that He will deliver us from those sinful ways. These become the components of our prayers all within the context of who God is as our Father in heaven, that we trust, who's set apart, whose kingdom is here now, who has a will for us and has a will for this world. But as we go through this prayer, I want you to notice here that we've got these words, our and us, because it's a community prayer. It's It's something that's done together. It's not just something that's individual. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us, deliver us. We do this together. Being individualistic and and isolated in this prayer is not what this prayer is about. We pray together, we pray for each other, we pray with each other. And yes, there is very much a place of, of praying privately. There's personal prayer and personal time there that we all need to be engaging in, but there's also this very important community prayer time that we pray together with each other and for one another. C.S. Lewis presents this idea that, that a community of people can get to know an individual better than you can one-on-one. Because when the, the two of us interact in, in a friendship, uh, you will behave differently around Clint than you do with me, right? And so I get to see a side of you with you and Clint that now I experience who Riley is more fully because there's now three of us involved in getting to know Riley, And if something happens to Clint in that relationship, and now it's just me and Riley in this relationship, now I miss out on a certain part of who he is because he's not engaged in that part of it. And in the same way, we come to God and we're able to see God more fully because of engaging relationships with others. So I will engage with God in a certain way. Riley will engage with God in a certain way, and Clint will engage with God in a certain way, and together we see God in a whole different way. It's not just about how I engage with him, and this is why community is so important, that that we pray together. God, give us. God, give us, forgive us, deliver us. We pray that as a community, and we know God more fully through the community coming together and experiencing God together. And so that's why we gather every week, that we will know God more fully because we come at it together. We come and encourage one another. We hold one another accountable. We pray with one another and for one another. And me hearing your prayers allows me to experience God in a way I hadn't experienced Him before. And so that's why we're, we're trying to build this time at the end of each of our services where we spend time in prayer with one another. We sp- spend time praying so that we can hear one another's prayers, that we can lift one another up in that context. And so I want to challenge you as we look at this disciples' prayer, take this prayer with you. Hear it with fresh ears. Don't let it be noise that gets into the background. Don't let it become something that you're immune to. I want us to conclude by going through this prayer together one more time. If you would, please stand. Let's say this prayer together. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. We're going to spend a time now of prayer. A time where we can pray with one another. We will have the shepherds down front and you can pray with them or you can pray in small groups or, or with, with a friend. It's a time of prayer. As we join together in a song, as we pray with one another, keep this disciples' prayer in front of you as we continue through these 40 days of prayer together. God, we lift this time up to you. We pray that we will experience you more fully as we pray with one another. It's in Jesus' name, amen.